welcome again to Highly Questionable. I'm sure at some point these two ladies are going to make fun of this jacket. L. Duncan is here. Sarah Spain is here. Let's get started. Are sports leagues doing enough to address coronavirus? <laughs> okay, we are not the health department. We are gas bags on television. This is a fairly unprecedented thing that doesn't exactly have a handbook. So even though I'm a professional critic, I am not comfortable <laughs> criticizing the way this is being handled. However, I am totally comfortable making fun of what it is these sports leagues are doing because the first eliminator is the dirty media. You guys get out of here. We don't want you around our players, but we're totally fine with 20,000 paying customers being all around us. And the difference, of course, is the paying customers paying and the media is coming over with Cheetos fingers trying to touch your millionaire players and they don't want it. The idea that the dirty media is the first thing that's banned here and that the last thing that will be banned will be empty stadiums playing in front of empty stadiums because they want that ticket money they want that gate it is funny that this is where they're starting i agree i'm also not uh someone who works for the cdc or johns hopkins or anywhere else but i will say what stood out to me that was interesting as far as all the many statistics and pieces of info that we're being fed right now is that the u.s currently has about 700 something known cases but it takes at least five days for some people to show any symptoms at all so who knows who else might have it when italy had 600 cases they were taking great measures and within 11 days they had 9,000 cases we have over 700. We are not taking great measures here in the States yet. So who's to say what will happen next? I do think when you're looking at a country now of 60 million people that are all quarantined in Italy where they have no sports at all, uh, and then you look at what we're doing here in the States, it doesn't feel like enough. At the same time, the preparedness that would work so that we end up thinking this was not as big of a deal as we thought it might be is exactly what we're kind of not doing, right? Like, we need to do the stuff now so that later we can all shrug and be like, oh, we were all overreacting. But if we don't do that stuff now, instead we're going to think, well, we probably should have gotten out ahead of this a little bit sooner. So as much as, Dan, you're right, they're trying to protect money, the more things that are getting canceled, the more likely I think it is that we are going to see games that go on, but with no fans and no media at the risk of not losing the games altogether. Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, they're kind of doing what they can. I'm not sure that it's going to be effective. Uh, again, uh, my biggest question would be, okay, the 15 or 20 or so media members that gather in a clubhouse or a locker room after the game, are you limiting the players' exposure to just like the outside world? Are they quarantining themselves once they leave said game? Because there's just as much of a risk in saying hello or keeping your social distance away from, from the guy at the grocery store as there is potentially talking to someone and having communication in the locker room. So I don't see why it's just the media that's essentially being scapegoated here. But at the end of the day, it feels like in the same way that they're approaching it with people nation and worldwide, if you feel like this is something that is scary for you, there are these precautions in place. And if you want to go about living your life, you can do the same. I will say this, though. It feels like a peace of mind thing. If you're concerned about it as a player, there, there's a precaution that they've taken. If you're not, it doesn't matter anyway. Right. Should the NFLPA have let players change their votes on the proposed CBA? All right, voting is an act of democracy. It is an act of freedom. So what are the players doing as they decide whether to vote? They are impinging on the freedoms of those who have already voted and want to change their vote because they might have gotten more informed. And it doesn't seem like leadership, which has been divided on this, wants to help anybody out in the event that they did indeed get more information, get more knowledgeable, and now want to make a 180 on this. They want this thing to pass. Leadership does. But they've got a divided group of people. And it's 
it's the high paid and the low paid that have a problem here because the low paid might be short-sighted and the high paid are trying to protect everybody over time but can because they have the money. It's interesting to watch that the players can't get even this part of it right. Dan, they've had the CBA now for days. If there was any concerns, the first thing that you do when you get a 500-page document, we talked about it in the show last week, is have somebody read it. And now, all of a sudden, days later, because it looks like maybe, it looks like maybe the most vocal detractors are against this thing, and it looks like maybe that's become pervasive and the vote isn't going their way. Now, all of a sudden, they want to change their votes. And I feel like once you register a vote, it's done. Dan, look, who among us hasn't played spades? Once you put down what your bet is, it's over, and you can't can't go back. And the same should be said when it comes to this. You made your vote. You cast your vote. They didn't add any addendums. They didn't sneak anything in there on you. If you didn't do your due diligence the first time, then why all of a sudden do you want to redo? It feels unfair. I agree, L. They should get it right the first time. And I agree that they had the 500-something page thing the first time. But since that happened, they've already pushed back the vote as the very tense conversations have gone on in the meetings between the two sides. And all of that information is being relayed to the NFLPA members via email after those meetings take place. That's additional information. That's potentially debates and arguments that dive deeper than the face value of the black and white print that they read. I don't see any reason not to to let them re-vote. Give me a reason other than just to be able to wag your finger and say, you should have gotten it right the first time. In the end, you want this body of people to vote based on what they actually feel and not feel like they were tricked or that they somehow had a different answer that they didn't get to, that they didn't get to provide. And what's interesting is, Dan, you spoke to the leadership. They just elected a new NFLPA president today, J.C. Treader, who, by the way, is a Cornell alum and I'm sure is going to do a great job. But with that coming in and a whole new bunch of leadership and people at the top, are they then going to say we change our mind about whether or not to allow the rescinding and recasting of your vote. We've already pushed it back to allow people more time to take in all the opinions. Why not also allow them to recast their vote if they feel differently because of that added information? There's no new information, though. There is none. You're looking at Eric Reed post a tweet like, oh, I, I checked with my lawyers and here's all the things. He said this is a bad deal. He tweeted that yesterday. How many days have they had this deal? How many days have they had the this new deal? information also, comes from the conversations that are Thursday. being had. And, you know, we all would love to be able to read the same piece of information and understand where the flaws or holes or benefits might be. But that's simply not the case. Certain people are very much aided by the discussions being had by others. And then them saying, hey, did we consider the fact that if this is supposed to benefit both sides, why wouldn't there be an opt out five years in that allows both sides to come in and say, yeah, we still agree with this versus then saying why weren't instead, any of these things raised before last Thursday or raised since? Because as I said, El, not everyone is going to be able to read it and immediately understand. I love that the CBA, it's hard to talk about the CBA in the way that's interesting. And they are going at it. (laughs) First take, your take. (laughs) Did A.J. Brown convince you that he would rather play with Ryan Tannehill than Tom Brady? Young fella, A.J. Brown, let this be a lesson to you right here. You said something totally honest, totally fair, totally reasonable, with plenty of nuance and plenty of qualifiers, and we, the dirty media that's getting banned from every place there's a disease in America, we take it out of context and we throw Tom Brady into the mix. Listen to this. Of course, we want Ryan back, you know, of course. But, you know, unfortunately, if things don't go as planned, you know, if we get Tom Brady or whatever, like, who wouldn't want to play with Tom Brady? 
That is so benign, right? So respectful. It's obviously honest, but we could take this and do what we want with it. And the <laughs> idea that he wouldn't want to play with Tom Brady would actually be more newsworthy because what wide receiver wouldn't want to say that he played with that guy? Yeah, I mean, he did it 100% correctly. He started out by saying, of course I want to play with Ryan Tannehill. We had a great chemistry, and the facts bear that out. As soon as Tannehill was inserted as starter, Brown had four of his five 100-yard games for the season and entered into the Rookie of the Year conversation. He and Ryan Tannehill were a great fit together. At the same time, if there's a chance that Ryan Tannehill is going to be gone and in comes the greatest quarterback of all time, you certainly don't want to be on the record complaining and whining about how you don't want your guy and your QB to leave. So you got to throw in a little, oh, but I also like Tom Brady. I'd love to pick his brain. So I think he did it just right. He said the exact right thing so that no matter how this plays out, he should be in a good position. But in the end, he should actually rather play with Tannehill because I think Tom Brady's noodle old man arm is probably not going to feed him quite as well. <gasps> wow. Know, right? um, My reaction, too. I thought, Noodle old man arm seems a little right. blasphemous. You care about me. Don't let me do it. Those are the same. Oh, no, Boston. Rest in peace, your mentions. Um, This is, to me, kind of like trying to get an in-house promotion, right? Like, you know that all the bosses talk, so when you go for the next job, you're like, I love what I'm currently doing. Let me be clear about that. I think it's great. But should there be an opportunity to upgrade and help the company in another way, I would love that, too. But I also just love what I'm doing, too. So either way, we're all good here. He did exactly what you're supposed to do. But let's be honest, for the second-year guy, there's more benefit to him staying, to Sarah's point, with Ryan Tannehill, and not just because of Tom Brady's old man noodle arm, but because he had a complete resurgence in his first year when Tannehill took over. And, in fact, they led the league in explosive plays, and he was the beneficiary of those things. So while it's a smaller sample size with Ryan Tannehill and of course who wouldn't want Tom Brady on their roster I think the answer truly should be keep Ryan around so that we can continue to build this yeah also sorry to Boston or whoever's currently taking ownership of Tom Brady get out of my mentions Oh, you don't even know anything about Tom. You're just saying that, right? Tommy. Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> oh, God. Noodle yeah, you're the, oh, God. He's the got an old man yeah. noodle on. He'll still win a Call Super Bowl on. with it. His noodle arm's better than Mitch's. Co- correct. Oh, yeah. Kyle Lawton. You guys got Chase Daniel on your roster. You joking with me right now? Chase Daniel. Wow. Why do we keep doing terrible accents that. today? What's I have been thinking one. about noodles for about the last 90 seconds. <laughs> I didn't hear anything you guys just said. Did NBA refs ruin a great moment by Jamal Murray? Oh, a savage descends from the sky, soaring in a feat of ballet and athleticism, and it gets ruined by a judge. Look at this last night during the Denver game. I mean, this is, oh, an assassination. Send him staggering. All, like, what is that, DJ Wilson? Who is that? DJ Wilson yep. is the guy getting like, oh, my God. Oh, dear Lord. And he was obviously in the restricted area, but they said that he wasn't. This is good God. He is using himself. He's using that body to propel himself higher. That was amazing. Yeah, at first when I watched it, I was like, oh, well, technically it was maybe like an offensive foul, just like technically the Euro step is just traveling. But um, upon further review, <laughs> it was 100% not an offensive foul. They're absolutely hating play that dunk at my funeral. But my favorite part of all of this is like the outrage from Nuggets fan. I didn't know that there is a, a an embattled community of Nuggets fans that feel like they are always on the bad end of calls. But I learned that last night. Hashtag Nug Life, which is apparently uh, a thing in Denver. As if this yeah. there's a conspiracy theory here. As if the referee is more of a coat guy. So he wanted to hurt the feelings at the Pepsi Center. That's ridiculous. 
Uh, L, just you know, just to inform you so that you continue to learn. Literally, every fan base has a segment <laughs> that thinks that every call yes. goes against yeah. them. It's not just Nug Life; it's hashtag All Men or All Fans or whatever you want to say. <laughs> we're all in on it. We all think we're getting screwed every time. In this case. Yes, the defensive player was in the restricted area, and he jumped. It should not have been offensive, except if you maybe looked at that one forearm and thought that it was unnecessarily used on his face to help propel yes, him up roughness, and toward maybe. the rim. Yeah. Um, yeah. It shouldn't have been called because it was awesome, and it made us all happy, and it would be cooler if it was just counted for two points. It could have been worse, though. She's right about that because the referees could have called a flagrant one on Murray <laughs> or whatever's higher than a flagrant one, a felony one. I mean, it could have been worse, and that is evidenced by this HQ classic. Yes, yes. By the back pass the other way. Yes. Uh, yes. In the face. Oh my God! It could have indeed been worse. That's right. In the face, all of it in the face, and then on the back. And Ride him like a horse. Piggyback. Yes. <laughs> He's laughing at all. He's laughing. He's like, whatever. What are you do? This is you embarrassing and ridiculous. You laugh to keep from crying. Coming up next on my son Stevie show. Oh, do they? Oh, right off the did wall. they think it was going to oh, be caught? Oh no! Oh no! They sent two. Highly questionable is brought to you by Corona Extra. Find your beach. Time to play the game that actually likes your tablecloth, Dan. Do you question? <laughs> The one that I did. It's a big tablecloth. It was a big table. You guys yeah. give us topics and events. We question them. Do you question if the Blue Jays deserve credit or the Pirates deserve blame? <laughs> oh, baseball has returned, and we are here to parse whether credit or blame should be dispersed. Let's check in here with what's happening, and you tell me you whether this situation, base is loaded. That is against the wind. Oh, do right. they? Oh, right off the did wall. they think it was going to oh, be caught? Oh no! Oh no! They sent you and so no! Are you. no! No! Oh, you know we prefer blaming people for this. So this is a full-on blame situation. No credit earned. Oh. Those guys should just run right out of the stadium. Just go home. No, it's not them, you guys. It's it's obviously spring training for the third base coach. He's the yeah, one that right. sent him. That's, true. That's your fault. And my favorite part is if you watch that video and they show the third base coach trying to sulk off and he looks behind him like, who called that? Who made that stupid decision to do that? Just watch him sort of sulk away and then look behind him as if he's looking for see. someone else to blame. Let me see. Does, does she have the third base coach here? Let's see where the third base coach is. Where's he at? So wait, there we go. We got it out here. Now watch the third base coach sort of just and then yeah, look behind what, him. Like, what are you Who doing that? There, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he, is, he thinks there's another third coach, a third base coach behind him that must be blamed for that. Do you question the usefulness of this dribble move? That is what I went to college for. It's why I studied journalism, is to question the usefulness of dribble moves on television. Let's see what we have here. Bro, this guy's been going crazy for the last half an hour. Dude, look, watch this. Whoa! Dude. Yeah, that's pretty good right there. That is useful. Um, why? Yeah. I, well, I mean, how do you defend it exactly? Now, it's going far away from the basket, unfortunately. <laughs> He's just trying to get into three-point range. Listen, I think it's a, it's distractionary. It's like instead of just a regular dribble to back you up and set up a play, you know, they're like, whoa, what's going on here? Is that a warlock? Is that the moonwalk? And then all of a sudden, bam, cross you over straight to the hoop. 
But that's my favorite part of this video is that obviously this is like a 12 year old who doesn't know anything about Michael Jackson because he's like, yo, check out this dude. He's suing something super crazy on the sideline right now. I'm like, for those of us in our 30s and up, that's just a moonwalk. Yeah. Well, this is not even the best Michael Jackson feature that we've had around here in the last month. We've got to show everybody Michael Jackson wrestling in Brazil. We've got to show the people that. Here we go. Look at that. What are you going to do against that move? What are you going to do there? You're not going to do anything other than lose when he does that. <laughs> now that's impressive. You <laughs> just said to that guy, here. beat it. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Oh, you give. You can't sing on TV, L. L, you I, know well, that. You're a television That's going to cost person. us $20,000. No, you can't that. sing to a certain point. We're okay with like three seconds. No, trust me. I got us fined on Around the Horn. Did Whoa. you? <laughs> Whoops. Highly questionable. This broadcast from the Clevelander Hotel on beautiful South Beach, Miami. It's time now for a game whose hands actually hurt from washing them so much. <laughs> See or no? Tell us what is on television tonight. We will tell you if we're intrigued. It was slow, but it was borderline rhythmic. Borderline, borderline. Tonight on ESPN, St. Mary's versus number two Gonzaga. Oh, Gonzaga. Is this the year for Gonzaga? Everyone everyone is up in the air. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Finally, Gonzaga, maybe. Let's check in here with a recent game involving BYU, though. BYU had its nine-game winning streak snapped. That's how St. Mary's got here. Jordan Ford for the win. Got it! 1.4 seconds to go. That is a good feeling right there. As BYU will have just enough time. Just enough time there to have their nine-game winning streak snapped. L, how about you? Are you intrigued? You know, there is one time and one time only every single year I say to myself, what's up with Gonzaga? And it's right around this time. So, (laughs) see. It is. Really? Paper? We've got paper. We don't have a card for her yet. Uh, Sarah, No, they do. I left it at home. Sarah, are you intrigued? Blame other people. What are you doing? What are you doing taking responsibility for your own (laughs) failures? Uh, I'm very intrigued by a number of things. One, why did they make the court painted like that? I hated it. It was so distracting, I couldn't even watch the shot being made. I was thinking to myself, what are we doing here? This is hideous. It's distracting and ugly. Secondly, agreed. I don't think about the Zags that often either, but when I do, I remind myself it's Gonzaga, like the Zags instead of Gonzaga, so that my Menchies don't blow up with tons of people Mm -hmm. from Gonzaga telling me it's not Gonzaga every single year. So this year, I'm only going to say Zags every time. Tonight on HBO, Women of Troy. Yeah, HBO does almost everything well. Now, Sarah Spain is going to like this because she's got that story for us about playing against Sean Bradley's sister and not being able to get any of the rebounds as Sean Bradley's sister just played patty cake with the ball on the backboard and she just tried to box her out unsuccessfully. Regardless, this should be better basketball than that. Yeah, it should be, yeah. At 22, I was considered by everyone the greatest player in women's basketball. Having Cheryl Miller on our team was a new frontier for women's basketball. She's faster than all your guards. And she plays at the rim. That's the next evolution of college women's basketball. Iron sharpens iron. And that's what we really did for each other. Cheryl Miller, Cynthia Cooper, the McGee twins. That's a Hall of Fame lineup right there. 
we laid the bridge for the league, for the WNBA to come behind us. We did our part to give these kids an opportunity to pursue a dream. It's impossible Woo! to say, but Reggie Miller was not the best basketball player in his family. <laughs> Elle, are you intrigued? So this entire thing happened with USC before I was born, and I grew up loving Reggie Miller and always listening to my mom say, but his sister was so much better. So yeah. surprisingly, this was not a reminder that I'm the youngest person on the show today. Yeah, Rather to say, yeah. I'm tired of having to watch her through YouTube clips. I'm very pumped yeah. to see this today. Yeah. Also, I, I am, am the youngest person enough, on the show today. Uh, are you younger than remember. me? Wow, really? Sarah, are you intrigued? I dispute that stat. I think we should send it to Stat Boy because I think it's pretty close. But either way, very intrigued, got the chills. Also very intrigued that Cheryl Miller just admitted on Jalen and Jacoby that she puts mayonnaise in her spaghetti sauce. So the goat at some things and maybe not so much at others. I changed my vote. (laughs) That's all the time we have for today. Elle Duncan, you could find her. Noon Sports Center, Sarah Spain, the That's What She Said podcast on the Levitard and Friends Network and also on ESPN Radio. Thanks for watching. Wait! You guys, we forgot the second half of The Bachelor is tonight, and oh my oh, god, no, Dan. No, listen to this. Sarah, so, on, Pete man. pours his heart out to Maddie, and then she says that she's over him, and then he's like, oh my god, I'm gonna get myself all hyped up for Hannah Ann, but then he goes to talk to Hannah Ann, and it's so clear that it's over, but Hannah Ann doesn't know that yet, so she still thinks that she might get proposed to, but then Maddie's gonna come back, but we know that they're a terrible match for each other, then his mom's gonna cry. It's gonna split up the whole